You're now listening to the Oregon Public Retirement Planning Podcast, where we teach you how to best understand the financial planning strategies unique to a public servant in Oregon. From learning about how the PERS and FPDR pensions work, to the investment and tax planning strategies that are within your 457 and IAP, we will show you how to take your planning to the next level. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Daniel Ryan. And today we're going to be talking about one of the what I call auxiliary pensions within the Oregon public service sector. And so for those of you who probably are in PERS, this might not apply to you. And I just want to give you this out right now. But hear me out first as to why it might apply to you in the future. If you are thinking about going into police and fire or you have come out of police and fire, in the city of Portland, maybe you're, for example, a Clackamas firefighter and you're thinking, hey, what if what if the grass is greener in Portland? Um, then this is really important for you to understand and, and to learn. Uh, some folks, I, I know that they've retired from city of Portland and then they go work uh, as a fire investigator um, and, and other things outside of this uh, within the PERS system. And so they become usually at this point in OPSERP, but it's really important to know the different options and how this might impact your career choices. I'm also going to be covering a couple of other auxiliary pensions that folks may or may not have, have heard of. Uh, for example, if you're a district attorney and you're working for uh, you know a county, for example, in the state of Oregon, you might be thinking, well, you know, someday in my career, I want to be a judge. I want to be an elected judge or what have you. Well, you're going to have a different pension within PERS. And so some people don't know that. And so they don't plan their retirement appropriately because they don't know that that's a completely different type of planning. And then other folks, uh, you might be in public education and then you might be considering teaching, um, you know, to try, try to go get tenure at one of the public universities like PSU or U of O or, or OSU. Well, those have a different pension option as well. We call it the optional retirement plan or the Oregon public uh, university's retirement plan. And so this is why I want to just make sure that we lay out a few different other pensions that exist within the state of Oregon, because right now, you might have only known that there was one pension. And yet in reality, if you know that there are other pensions out there, it might change the way that you're approaching your career. It might change the way that you approach your retirement. So that being said, this is going to be the podcast about FPDR. I'm going to put a lot more content about FPDR because this is such a unique niche of of pension, if you will. I'm going to be using my YouTube channel to do some more content on this in the future. And so don't lose hope. Yes, I am your expert to come talk through this. I've actually been invited as an independent advisor. I think I'm one of a very, very select group of people, if not the only person that has been invited to come in watch. Uh, Usually it's Beth and and so forth at the city of Portland uh, that invited me to come and participate and watch the uh, pension presentation at the the fire station in 2019 was the last one. Of course, then 2020 kind of shut things down (laughs) and uh, they're not taking extra groups now. So uh, basically what I want to make sure you know is that we're going to cover the high level stuff because we're really focusing in on strategies, but we got to understand that this exists. So if you are, for example, those folks who are in police and fire within PERS and you're wondering what is it like to go to the city of Portland or maybe vice versa, it's important that we understand how these pensions coordinate, interact, and then more importantly, just focusing in on this pension 
as a whole today. So with that being said, we're going to cover on a few different things. And again, this is going to be the high level. The first thing we got to talk about is eligibility to retirement. Most of my clients are coming to me basically at what I call the pull the shoot moment. This is when you've just got to get off the airplane. Okay. This ride is no longer fun. And uh, unfortunately, if you're in the city of Portland, police and fire, you know more than most. We have had riots and coronavirus and everything in between. I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for your service. This is why I'm so passionate about what I do. And for those of you who are looking to get off this bus, come talk to me. I want to help you get through that. My, my brother-in-law is actually a city of Portland firefighter in FPDR too. I, I'm very well versed in this pension. I know what you need to do to get there. And so I'd love to talk with you. I have clients that are in the city of Portland uh, police side as well. Um, so whether you're police or fire city of Portland, I'm here to help. Okay. Uh, that being said, we got to talk about eligibility. How soon can I get off this ride is maybe one way to consider that. Uh, then we got to ca- you know, calculate your pension. We're going to talk about what included, uh, what inc- is included in your final pay, for example, how do we calculate your years of service, which accrual rate should I be using, things like that we're going to talk about today. And we're also going to be talking about the cost of living adjustments, the tax offset. This is all specific to FPDR. And so we're going to be approaching this for FPDR 2 because that is what most folks are in right now if you're getting close enough to retirement. And so I know that there's uh, another pension for those of you who are younger. We'll circle back to that. But this is really to get our base level foundation for those of you who are getting really close to retirement, okay? And pretty much everybody in FPDR1, you've all retired. So good for you guys. You guys did it. Congrats. Mission accomplished, okay? So again, we're focusing on specifically FPDR2 for today's podcast, okay? So the first thing we're talking about is eligibility. We've got to know when can I get off this bus? And so the first thing you want to take a look at is there's really kind of a fork in the road as to how to qualify for that. The first thing being if you are at least 50 years old and have 25 years of service, you will get the full calculation. Now, another way to say that is if you started out right from the get-go, let's say you were like 23, 24, uh, and you already hit your 25 years, you're just going to wait till age 50 at that point or just keep working. Um, But I'll talk about how they cap things at 30 years and so forth. So uh, you got to be at least age 50, but for most people, that's going to be fine. Okay. Um, What I always tell people is, when the pension says that you can retire, I always like to come in as the other point of view and say, can you afford to retire? That is an important part of this calculation as well. Again, that's when we talk about the 457, your VBA and some other benefits and so forth. So we'll get into that in a different podcast. That being said, the other option is if you are at least 55 years old, No matter what years of service, then you get the get out of jail free card, I guess you might say. Uh, Obviously, less years of service in the pension is going to reduce your payout, but at least you can get the calculation that I'm about to go through so that you can actually find out what that is going to look like for your situation. So that being said, uh, that is typical if you came in later in your career. Maybe you were in a different pension and so forth. Um, and you uh, you just started later. That's usually how you get to that 55. Obviously, you cannot be in this position 
uh, for a long time. And, and at age 50 and age 55, it's very normal for police and fire to be retiring. So that, that's how that works. That's the eligibility side. The next question, of course, is, well, how do I calculate my pension? Well, there's three different components, similar to PERS in that there's three components, very different from PERS as to what those components are and how each one of them is calculated. For example, the three components are final pay, which we'll talk about in a second, your years of service, times your accrual rate. And that's what's going to determine your survivor benefits. Okay. And we're going to talk about that because that again is night and day different than PERS, for example. So it's important that we're just focusing in on FPDR. That being said, let's talk about final pay. This is the highest pay that you've received in one of three consecutive look back periods. And so we'll talk about a couple examples here in a second. Um, but a Effectively, this is what you need to know. Final pay is going to include your regular salary and your leave pay, like sick and vacation is what your leave pay is, of course. All your premium pays, on-call pay, shift premium and coaches pay on straight time, uh, out-of-class pay on straight time, and then your banked hour payouts. So that's what it does include. What it's not going to include is anything paid at overtime rate. I know a couple of you were maybe thinking that that was a way to get in uh, a little bit higher, but but no. And the other thing it does not include is leave or comp pay, uh, time payouts. So that's important for us to understand what is this final pay going to look like. Of course, everyone I'm, I'm pretty sure have, have posted. Uh, it's actually on the City of Portland website. If you haven't seen this 27 pay period look back, um, that, is, that is basically when everyone everyone retires, right? So they have their calendar and they look for which year uh, there's usually, you know, two or so different times of each year to get your look back to include the 27 pay periods because your look back period will include uh, that 27th every once in a while as they do the look back. So that's what we want to check out. Um, if you received a retro that applies to a pay date in your look back period, it will be included in your final pay. And if you retire before a retro owed, uh, owed to you is processed, you're still going to adjust your final pay if we're notified uh, by your bureau. Okay, So you got to make sure that FPDR is aware of that. Um, and then when it comes to disability and, and military time, sometimes folks have a question about that. And they're going to calculate that pay as if you were working full-time. If two things are met here, you have to have been receiving FPDR disability pay uh, for either service or non-service related uh, during your look-back period. Or you were on approved military leave uh, paid or unpaid during your look back period. You know, I'll use the example. My brother-in-law actually served in Afghanistan uh, because he's in the Oregon National Guard. And so that is, you know, if he was retiring during that time period, right, then that would, that would be included as well. So those are just a couple examples of how final pay is calculated. But that being said, of course, we got to look at this, uh, this look back period. And those of you who are in FPDR too, you know that there are folks that fall into a couple categories here, like non-represented at retirement um, or or represented. Okay, and so if you're non-represented, non-represented at retirement or termination from sworn employment, then this is going to be 365 days of pay, or 366 if in a leap year. Okay, so for everyone else, it's the greater of. 365 to 366 days of pay or, and this is where it gets fun, the 12 months of pay, 26 or 27 pay dates, right? Because you get paid every two weeks. So this is where this comes into play. 
And the city's biweekly pay structure occasionally produces that 27th pay period. So that's why everybody chooses this, um, you know, to try to get in that little extra, you know, <laughs> extra juice from the squeeze, if you will. Uh, and so that 27 pay period can fall into a couple of times a year. I don't have that uh, calendar in front of me, but it, it's really well-known knowledge. I keep a record of it for my, my own self, uh, but it's also on the City of Portland website. So if you're trying to remember what it is, if you're this close to retirement, I'm sure you know when the 27 pay periods hit. Uh, if not, I'm sure your buddies have probably told you about it by now. Uh, so that is what that looks like. Now let's talk about years of service for a second. Uh, you can work as long as you want. I love that City of Portland says that, but we're going to stop counting at 30 years. Okay, You need 25 years at age 50 to get the full benefit payout. And if you want to keep going and, and forever and, you know, into the sunset, uh, I would just encourage you to just retire <laughs> because I, I tell people who keep working in retirement, you're just bad at retirement. You need to enjoy all of this hard work that you have put in a whole career protecting and serving your community. It's time for you to now enjoy your fruits of your labor and to spend time with your friends, your family and, and loved ones and so forth. Um, so I would encourage you to take a step back and just just relax and enjoy the ride, okay? Uh, but just know that if you're going to keep going, it's going to stop at 30 years. Usually, my clients are asking me, how do I get out of here faster? Not how how much longer can I keep going? Uh, but that is a difference. You know, PERS doesn't cap you. If you want to teach for 40 years, go for it, right? Uh, but FPDR, they're going to cap you at 30 years, okay? So the other thing to just note is that uh, service credit is given on whole months basis. It's not going to be per day. Okay. So you want to make sure um, that you're, you're basically going to try to work through your anniversary date to get credit for your last month. Okay. So that's the key to remember there, unless you already hit 30 years, of course. And, uh, and we've already talked about that. So that is how your years of service is calculated. But we also want to just be aware of what this accrual rate is all about. So here's a couple of things. You know, what I always like to bring is uh, some insight and perspective, knowledge and information and facts. Those are one thing, right? Like I said, I'm going to put more in-depth content uh, specific to these auxiliary pensions within my YouTube channel and some other facets like webinars and so forth here in the future. But we need the high level for starters. But what people really want, at least what I found, is not just facts. They want perspective and wisdom within these facts? How do I evaluate the best decision based on the facts, right? And so this is why I like to talk about this when we talk about accrual rate. So here's the deal. If you take the highest pension payout, it's a 2.8% accrual rate. But here's the thing with that. If you have a survivor, I'll use a spouse in this example. If you pass away before them, they will only get 25% of your payout. So if you were getting four grand a month, they're going to get $1,000. Here's why people take that pension though. Okay. They're going to take it because it's 84% of your salary being replaced. But that's pretty good. Here's the thing that I like about FPDR. Yes, it's correct. It does not pay into Social Security. And that's a you know, potential issue, which we just talked about government pension offset and windfall elimination provision. But here's why that's actually really good on the other side of this. Social Security, I can't get to until at least 
age 62, if not later. But if you did your career in the city of Portland, police and fire, you can retire with 25 years of service, not 35, right? Like social security requires uh, to get the full, you know, without zeros, I guess. Uh, You can do it with 25 years and get it at age 50. And so the reason I do like this pension so much is because you get out at age 50 and you could potentially replace 84% of your calculation if you did your 25 years. Uh, The issue that I want to just bring to the table here is that if you pass away, your spouse, if, if your spouse is still young like you are, you know, at age 50, for example, and you pass away at 52, they're screwed. Because 25%, I mean, let me ask it this way. Could you survive with a 75% pay cut? Boy, I I really doubt it. But, you know, obviously it depends on your situation. But I just want to bring this perspective. I talk to a lot of police and fire. And the the things that they say are, well, I'm going to die first. I'm going to pass away first because of how hard I've been on my body. And honestly, the stats will tell you that that is true. You will probably pass away before your spouse. But if that is the logic, why have you not set up your spouse for success here? Because now you have told them, I'm going to die first and I'm taking all the money with me. <laughs> uh, that That is just a perspective. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying that this is a strategy for everyone or for no one. I'm just saying that if your perspective is that you're going to pass away so young, why don't we look at the other options to see what makes the most sense for your then surviving spouse potentially? Okay. So that, that is why we want to talk about this. Now, that being said, uh, the survivor can only be a spouse of at least one year or a dependent minor child. Okay. So this is really a spousal benefit in a lot of ways, like a surviving spousal benefit. Um, But in reality, uh, that's why I like to bring into this, yeah, 84% of your salary can be recovered with this pension at age 50, potentially. But if you pass away as as early as a lot of people tell me they are, uh, then we really haven't done a good job setting up a successful retirement for the surviving spouse. It's very likely that your spouse, if you passed away in your 50s, they could live another 30 years plus. And so we want to just realize what that does to their their side. Now, that being said, there's accrual rates at 2.8. That's the one I just talked about. 2.6, 2.4, and 2.2. Now, the one at 2.2 is the other side of the spectrum where they say, okay, basically, you're going to replace about two-thirds of your years of service. And by the way, this is if you had um, 30 years of service. So I, you know, you could do 25 years. We talked about eligibility, but these numbers that I'm giving you are based on your 30 years of service. And you know, you could ask yourself, well, Daniel, how'd you come up with that math? Well, simply take your accrual rate, 2.2 times 30 is 66. And so I'm just, you're just helping you with the math here. This is this is from uh, City of Portland. You know, from from their uh, pension information directly. So they're just giving you some examples as to how to simplify this whole payout structure, if you will. 2.8 times 30, same thing, it's 84. And so it's important that that's that's what we're talking about here. But if you get two thirds of your pay, that's that's a pretty considerable pay cut, you know, about 34, 35% uh, reduction. However, 
now you have a hundred percent benefit to your spouse. So if you did pass away, they're basically just going to get the same check. So there's going to be no change. And so if that makes more sense for your situation, let's take a look at that. Because if you are going to expect to pass away so early, you're really not planning for your retirement benefit. You're planning for your spouse's retirement benefit. So we just want to be honest with ourselves. We want to use the logic consistently. And just again, as a general rule here, uh, City of Portland has published the numbers for City of Portland employees and members of FPDR and their spouses. And the average retirement age is age 50, uh, 55.2. So basically 55 people are retiring. And the average death is the, the median death, we would call that, is age 85. So I know that a lot of people tell me, oh man, I'm, I'm not going to survive. I've, I've beaten my body and everything else. Well, the average age of people who are actually passing away, which means they were born in like the 1940s, 50s, 60s, those those folks, uh, you know what? They, they're living till 85. And so in, in reality, those were probably people born in the, the 30s, 40s. Um, but uh, with advancements of healthcare and technology, man, it is likely you're going to live a lot longer than you probably thought. So we want to look at these impacts. If that be the case, how do we coordinate this with your 457? How do we coordinate this with any other types of social security that you have? Or are you going to do some part-time work for fun? You know, maybe you run a side gig. Maybe you finally get to call retirement as your your business that you've always wanted to start, that kind of thing. Uh, but just as a general rule, age 85 for the city of Portland, this is, this is as specific as stats you can get. Uh, you're living until age 85. And you've been serving in police and fire for your whole life. And and honestly, uh, I know for firefighters, the smoke and, and everything else that you've uh, inhaled, I totally get it. Uh, but, you know, again, technology 40, 50 years ago, these people still live till age 85. Now, I know that we all have the story of the person that didn't survive past age 82. But for every one of those, we also have folks in their 90s. And so it's important to know what if you live too long right? And that's a weird concept to, to absorb, but we need to know how that works and how that might impact our overall situation. Okay. The other thing to know, if, if you're going to continue the life insurance benefits with city of Portland, those are going to end at age 75. Okay. So they're not forever. So that being said, what if you live too long? Well, here, here's the thing that people are keeping to talk about is inflation. Okay, so I want to talk about the tax offset and then also the cost of living adjustment. Now, basically, here's how this tax offset works. I want to talk about this one first. If you're going to live in Oregon, okay, this is what we're talking about. In 1995, there was federal legislation that came to both FPDR and PERS. So this affects everybody. In PERS language, they call it the tax remedy, okay? This pays for the Oregon tax if you are an Oregon public servant, because it used to be that when you retired, you didn't have to pay Oregon tax on your pension. But then federal government said you have to do that in the early 90s. And so they switched it. And so basically, if you were hired uh, after 1995, there's a couple of rules to figure out how much this uh, tax offset you might qualify for. So the first thing is uh, you got to have 10 years of service. Okay. So if you were hired, um, th- there's really two different situations. So let's, let's just see if anyone actually qualifies for this one. But a, a percentage of your FPDR pension is going to be increased 9.89%. 
uh, if you have years of service before 1991. Now, I doubt anybody has that that's listening to this podcast who is not already retired because that was a long time ago. That was over 30 years ago already. And so you probably uh, just aren't doing that. You probably retired. Okay, if we're just being honest. So now let's talk about everybody else because that's like FPDR1 stuff, right? Uh, FPDR2 folks, though, you were probably hired after 1991. And so your years of service for this tax offset is going to calculate into a couple of different kind of blends here. So if you have 10 to basically 20 years of service, it's going to be a percentage of 1%. If you have 20 to 25%, then you're going to have 2.5% increase. If you have 25% or more, it's going to be a 4% increase. And so nowadays, method two is going to be the highest for everybody uh, because, again, everyone else who was on that first one, that was FPDR one days. That that was way before this even came to be. So uh, basically, you're going to get a little bit of a benefit, but it's not going to cover the whole organ tax. Can I just say it that way? Oregon's taxes for income tax are at 9%, if not higher, depending on your income bracket. And and the 5 and 7% tax rate are kind of a joke because they cap out at, a, you know, like 20 grand. So anybody who's going to get that pension, you're, you're probably going to get more than that anyways. But that is what I mean when I say that you're going to get a tax offset for living in Oregon. Now, that being said, if you're going to get 2.5% and then pay 9% in taxes, and you're trying to figure out, hey, if I move to Vancouver, Washington or something like that, is this going to be better or worse for my situation? Uh, be honest and say that Vancouver is actually going to be a net tax benefit rather than staying in Oregon because you're not going to get the whole offset here from the pension, okay? That's just what I wanted to talk through. Now, that being said, the cost of living adjustment has a similar type of phase out or what we would call a blended COLA. And so this is basically going to say if you have years of service before October of 2013, and this is the same thing for PERS folks too. So uh, keep keep a close watch if you're still listening in your uh, city of Portland Fire, or maybe you have um, PERS police and fire on here. Uh, but basically what we're talking about is you're going to get up to 2% per year of cost of living adjustment if you had years of service before 2013. Now, if you're FPDR2, you obviously have that. If you kept working past 2013, which I'm assuming you did, then you're only going to get credit for 1.25%. And so now what this results in is an average blended COLA, if you will, between 1.4% and 2%. So that is how a blended COLA works. Basically, if you started in 2013 and beyond, you can expect that there's only going to be a 1.25%. They're phasing it out, basically. Um, <clears throat> now, this this can create quite a situation for a lot of folks because right now inflation's averaging 7%, and yet your pension's only going up probably 1.5%, okay, if you're going to be retired uh, and, and fell under to what I just talked about. Maybe you just retired, you're just about to retire. That's basically how that works. So that's important to realize that when we're talking about this 457 and how other implications come with your FPDR pension planning, 
Uh, there's certainly a lot to go into. And in the future, like I said, I want to make sure that we go over some examples of pay dates and accrual rates and all these other good things. Um, but for a lot of you, uh, there's just going to be a lot to look at here to make sure that you fit into all the different components, whether you were represented or not at retirement, whether you're trying to get to the 27 pay period schedule or not, and then how this impacts the rest of your social security, which again, go back and listen to the windfall elimination provision or government pension offset because this pension doesn't pay into social security. And so you might have a lot of implications here uh, that we need to make sure that we're talking through. And after all, this is what we're here for is to make sure that you can take your planning to the next level. Before you go, just a quick note from our attorneys. Different types of investments involve a varying degree of risks, and there are no assurances that any specific investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Estate planning and tax information provided is general in nature, so always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding the specific legal or tax situation. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as complete analysis of the subjects discussed. All expressions of opinion reflect the judgment of the author and presenter as of the date of publication and are subject to change and do not constitute as personalized investment advice. A professional advisor should be consulted before implementing any investment strategy. An advisor does not represent, warranty, or imply that the services or methods of analysis employed by the firm can or will predict the future results, successfully identify market tops and bottoms, or insulate clients from losses due to market corrections or declines. Investments are subject to market risks and potential of loss of principal invested. All investment strategies, likewise, have the potential for profit or loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Different types of investments involve a varying degree of risk and therefore cannot have an assurance that there, any investment will be either suitable or profitable for a client portfolio. There are no assurances that any portfolio will match or outperform any particular benchmark.